Hello again, everyone, and welcome to our Detroit News podcast, Octopulse, taking the pulse of the Red Wings rebuild under General Manager Steve Eiserman. I'm Mark Faulkner, Assistant Sports Editor at the Detroit News, and I'm with Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. And Ted, Dylan Larkin said things could get ugly if they don't get things turned around soon, and this is pretty ugly right now. <laughs> Seven straight losses heading into tonight's Tonight, game yeah. against the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. It's been grim, no question about it. I mean, they've been outscored, what is it, like 27 to 9 or 29 to 9, something similar to that. It's been a struggle. They're not. When you don't score and you give up too many goals, that's a Dudley combination, and that's what's been happening. Their special team has been good. I mean, one more is there to say. Hopefully they can turn it around here soon. They need a victory in a worse way. But you look at the schedule, there's not a whole lot of givens there. It's going to be some tough games. Um, it's a, I don't know. I mean, you, you knew it was going to happen at some point in the regular season, this sort of struggle. Just happening pretty early, though. Ted, last Friday morning, uh, Jeff Blaschel kind of called out Dylan Larkin, and Larkin responded Friday night with one of his best games. He had eight shots. He won 19 of 24 faceoffs. But the previous game, the game that you were in Ottawa with, Larkin won only one of 17 faceoffs. He was minus one. They had a 2 1 lead going into the second period. 30 seconds in, Larkin had the puck and he turned it over with three or four options. And then on the tying goal, he had a flyby in the offensive zone. He came back and he didn't even have his man if there was a rebound on the goal against Bernier. And then on the power play in a 2-2 game, he had the puck along the sideboards, was out muscled. The puck came back to Chalosky, who was too well covered. He threw it over to Mantha, bouncing puck. It wasn't Anthony Mantha's fault. And down came down came the Senators and they scored the winning goal. So I can probably see where Jeff Blaschel wasn't happy with that game. Yeah, you could tell Larkin wasn't very satisfied with his outing either or his outings recently. Um, it's a tough role to be in. I mean, he's 23 years old. Uh, he's not the captain, but he's a Suedo captain. For basically the answers for everything that's going on in the organization. It's a tough role to be in, but he, I think they really were pleased with the way he responded Friday, and he was the best player on the ice. Like I said, not an easy situation for a youngster to be in, but he seems to be dealing with it as well as could be expected here the last couple of years. You know, last year, Larkin had a career-high 75 minutes in penalties, Ted, and he has no penalties this year. Last year, he had 80 hits, and he has only two this year. He's certainly, again, the best player on the ice, having one of his best games on Friday night. But I'm not so sure if that's on purpose, how his game has changed Evolving, a little bit. Evolving, yeah. Uh, the penalties. Uh, maybe he's ready. He's making a run for Lady Bing. <laughs> yes, he is. I mean, I don't, that doesn't bug me much at all. The hits, there's some, I mean, every, every arena in this league is it's so subjective. It really is. I haven't really noticed him playing as physically, no. But I, I still think he's been one of the, him and Mantha have been the two most consistent forwards on this roster this season. Can't find too much, too much fault in my estimation. Now what do you make of the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins? They're off to their best start in 11 years. They've won three in a row. They were down 3 nothing the other night in a game that I believe Steve Eisenman was heading to, according to Darren Pang, who will be our guest in a few minutes. But 
Giovanni Smith is up here. Sveshnikov is up here. Jonathan Erickson is plus two in three games. Michael Rasmussen is third in scoring. Marit Sider is plus three. Philip Sedina has a goal and a couple assists. Joe Valeno scored, but is minus eight. Uh, my only issue is when you look at the box score, you see a lot of Matt Pumples and Chris Terry scoring. Exactly. That's still my, uh, I mean, that is a nice start. Obviously, I haven't seen them play, but you hear things. It's a nice young roster, obviously. They've won a few games, but... When you have the likes of Terry Pumple and now Jonathan Erickson and Brian Lashoff and Joe Hicketts, you still like to see more of the youngsters producing. They've, they have the bits and pieces, but uh, yeah, that's going to be the most important thing in Grand Rapids this year. And finally, Ted, the home record for the Red Wings here at Little Caesars, year three. This is game number 170, and there are 20 games under 500, 63 63-83 and 23. What do you make of how they've played? I here? think it's more of a byproduct of that not having good roster, simply put. I mean, these last three years since they've been here, it's not been a good team. And then it's reflected in that home record. They just haven't been able to play consistently well here. Also, you haven't gotten a ton of support here. I mean, most of those nights, it's far from a sellout. I mean, the crowds have been good this year thus far, but there's no no doubt they have not been able to take advantage of the home ice, and I think largely it's just because of the rosters they've had, Mark. Okay, Ted, that's it for now. We'll be back with overtime, but first, an interview with Darren Pang. We're joined now by St. Louis Blues TV analyst Darren Pang, a longtime friend of Steve Eiserman's, going back to their early days in the Pian, which is just outside of Ottawa. Welcome to the podcast, Darren. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. that. Now, you probably haven't had a chance to talk to Steve lately. Certainly, like last night, the Blues were in Boston. You just got in and things. But generally, generally speaking, since Steve Eisman took over about six months ago on April the 19th, how do you think he's been doing so far, Darren? Oh, I think, yeah, I think he's, he's doing great. I think it's... It, he shows a great deal of patience in in, um, in evaluating any situation that you have. Uh, I was lucky enough to go on July one um, because I've got a summer place here in Michigan in, in Highland Township. I uh, got a call from Steve and I, I, I went in and kind of spent the day, three or four hours, in the offices here at Joe Lewis, and you know was just just as a friend, just talking to see where they're at. And you know, there's a load of players out there that uh, you know probably are getting overpaid at that time and I thought just typical of Steve I think I, he showed great uh, great patience and restraint and in, 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 in not diving into something that maybe a couple of years down the road that you know it would be a regrettable move so uh, I think he understands that there's some really good young players here and the prospect pool looks good and there's some fast players we all know that um, and to build up the defensive core is going to be really important and and, but I think patience is probably the, the word that's going to be used the most. And, and I know that's hard, uh, you know, when, when there hasn't been success in a, in a few years. But the fact of the matter is you're, you know, you, you can't rebuild just like that. You've, you've got to develop your players the correct way. And I think, I think he's doing a nice job um, starting with Mo Sider, making sure he's down there and making sure that some of their good young prospects are down there like Rasmussen and, and not being rushed uh, into a position of failure down the road. And you know the uh, Grand Rapids team, for what it's worth, are off to their best start in 11 years. Cider's like plus three. Rasmussen's playing well. Valeno scored the other night. Zadina's learning how to play. So it's probably difficult for Steve Eisenman having to watch those players develop down there, and maybe not up here. But yeah. in the long term, you know, Darren, that probably makes sense. You know, right? Marky. I mean, he he did that in you know his 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 first you know especially when they first began in Tampa Bay. 
and uh, you know they were in Norfolk at the time, their minor league team, and they developed a lot of great players. He, the, the, those, you know, the and, and, he, and he kept them there. Um, you know, you're talking about the Palats and the Kucherovs and um, and Kalorns. Uh, uh, they eventually became mainstays. But I think Steve, I think a lot of general managers, they enjoy the process of going down to the minors. I mean, just the other night, it was actually last night. I asked Steve if uh, what, what he was up to, and if I would come in here a little earlier and. Uh, go for dinner and he, he said actually I'm going to Grand Rapids you know and I've got to you know and that's what he is he's a grinder he's a he's a worker and, and he wants he wants his eyes on what what what's developing he and Patty Verbeek are great together and um, so I, I think it's good I think he goes down there and watches and I think he likes what he likes that part of it because you have to know are they ready where are they at are they getting enough ice time here are they playing in, in hard enough situations there and, and where would they fit when they come up here so uh, so no I think all in all I think the process uh, that it takes to become a really contending team because Steve has gone through it with Tampa Bay and he's done it and succeeded that uh, that I think this is the not the fun part of the process I would think you know Darren that was my next question about being a grinder when Steve Eisenman retired people weren't sure if he had the patience and if he could he was next in line behind Ken Holland Jimmy Nill and you were one of the first ones I believe who said that there were some doubts does Steve Eisenman have the patience to go to Grand Rapids, to go to Moose Jaw, to go to the league meetings, to learn the game. At the time, I mean, yes, looking ahead and 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 uh, being ready to be a manager after you know running two uh, Canadian national programs into gold medals and world championships into golds, and you know, I I know that uh, that the waiting around process, you know, might have been a little bit longer. But I think all in all, I think, you know, I think when Steve saw the right situation come up and the right owner in Jeff Finnick. Um, because he was spoiled with the great Mike Illich here and the and and, uh, and Marilyn Illich and the, the entire family treats Steve so well, but I think once he once he once he once he saw what Jeff Finnick was all about and what Tampa was all about, you know it was a good process for him to go there and, and do it. But uh, you know, he, patience is something that it's hard to describe patience because everybody wants something right away, but you don't want to put yourself in a bad spot either. Even if you're a new manager, or a new coach, or a new broadcaster, or n no matter what you're doing, and so. So uh, I had no doubt that he would put himself in the right spot. Now, Darren, you watched Steve Eisman through the years, and in the 102-year history of the NHL, no captain spent as long as he did, 11 continuous years as captain, before they won. It took him 14 years overall. Yeah. And we just wrote a story earlier this year to begin the season. Like, what lessons did he learn as far as resolve and patience and and building the right team and, and, and building a a strong two-way type team. So my question to you is, there were a lot of hard times during those years. Steve talked about having to go outside with glasses on and a hat, he was embarrassed. It was difficult for Steve at that time. I just yeah. wonder what, in hindsight, when you look back, Darren, those were some difficult years and he was put in a really difficult situation, in my opinion. Well, he was a he, he was a great player. I mean, he, he came in and everybody thought he was just an offensive dynamo, but I mean, I played with him in, <clears throat> In a midget in the Air Canada Cup, I played with him in Tier Two with the Nepean Raiders. Um, you want him to defend? He defended like a dog with a bone. Like he, he was, he just wanted to win. And then he went to Peterborough, which was the best two-way franchise in the Ontario Hockey League. They loved his two-way play, and he goes there and he and he plays a great two-way game. Gets drafted by Detroit, but he was dynamic. I mean, he could do things that a lot of players just couldn't, didn't see the ice and couldn't do what he did. But at no time in particular was he. Uh, at fault for the lack of defensive play, although that rap kind of hit him at an early age, which I didn't understand. But I think 
anybody that watched that, the progress of those 14 years, the building blocks to get to the 14 years, the 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 trades that were made, getting close, and then moving some players out that were really good players. I mean, Dino Cicerelli is a really good player. He's a Hall of Famer. Ray Shepard was a good player. There's a lot of guys like that, but then getting the right mix, getting the Brendan Shanahan's in and getting Scotty Bowman in and and uh, making those decisions. I think Steve would be the first to tell you that, you know, that that he was surrounded by a lot of really good conscientious players and then the Russian five and then the confidence that, that, that they had for one another and the belief they had for one another from the grind line. You know, Joey Kosher coming out of retirement to, you know, the the backing each other up mentality where they were, they were a family. And so... I mean, I think you have to look back at your playing days sometimes and think, okay, how do we get through that? You know, what did we do? What's Dylan Larkin going through right now? You know, what, what it's it's not easy, and who would know better than than Steve? I mean, and so I think those those experiences, you know, have to help have to help you out when you're in this spot right now. Now, Darren, what's your opinion about Dylan Larkin and Steve Eiserman not naming Larkin the captain? Larkin the other night after the game against Buffalo, he was. He said, this could get really ugly. Um, Larkin had been called out the night before against Ottawa. Larkin won only one of 17 face-offs. I'm not sure if he even knows where his game was going. Darren, last year he had 80 hits. He has only two. Last year he had 75 penalty minutes. He has zero this year. He's he's playing differently. He's playing well. Jeff Blaschel said the other night against Buffalo, Larkin won... I believe 19 of 24 face-offs, he had eight shots. Clearly he's the best player on the team, the highest paid player on the team. But I'm wondering, do you think Steve Eiserman thought, is he ready? Does he need to be put in this position to be captain on a team that may not may not be that successful? I think it's I think for Steve personally, I think it's it's an evaluation process again of going through how do your players how do all these young players deal with where they're at right now? And I think you know, you listen to some of the comments that Dylan's making. He's taking responsibility. He says the right things. I know he's a competitive kid. He's a uh, he works hard. He's he's very proud of what kind of person he is. I've gotten to know him a little bit in the summer times, being from nearby here. Uh, that I, I spend the summers, and um, I, I I I love how conscientious he is about things. But I, I mean, I think I think maybe at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a um, an audition for everybody, and and uh, you know. Sometimes teams are in a real hurry to put a C on somebody and then they look back and you can't take it off. So when you make the decision to put a C on, you better be right about the C because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing more not embarrassing for an organization but makes you makes you second question, okay, well, what are they doing if you name somebody the captain and then a year later you're like, whoa, 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 what did we just do here? So I, I think this is a good evaluation process and ability for Steve to look at everything and, and see where they're at. I mean, Steve's got a great surrounding group. I mean, Pat Verbeek is a former captain in the league and he was a he's a hard-nosed competitive guy and he's a hard-nosed competitive evaluator of players and people so I think together uh, this group in management are, are along with the coaching staff I think they're gonna make the right decision at the end of it and listen if somebody said in three weeks that Dylan Larkin was named the captain of the Detroit Red Wings I don't think anybody would be surprised by that um, or it comes next year in September and you know and and, and they make a decision and name a seat I think it's important for a team to have a C on there. So uh, you know, yeah. but some sometimes uh, being a little bit more patient is, is 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 a little bit better than being hasty. One possible player that uh, Larkin could look up to down the road is a player that you get to see now uh, quite a bit, Ryan O'Reilly, who won the Selkie Trophy. Mm-hmm. Larkin did get a vote last year; got some votes. Steve Eiserman got votes 
nine different years and won the trophy once. Tell me a bit about Ryan O'Reilly, who went from a minus 23 to plus 22, yep. was named the Smythe Trophy winner. But isn't he the type of player, Darren, that good two-way player that Darren is? And he's a bit older, obviously. It's six years in Colorado, three in Buffalo, and then last year with the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, they're, obviously they're, they're different players, but the work ethic and the professionalism of Ryan O'Reilly is something that you want every young player to watch. I mean, I would send a video of Ryan O'Reilly's practice habits to every young player in the NHL and say, this is how it's done. He's, he leads by example. He's got a relentless and tenacious work ethic and habits. It's, it's, um, it's fascinating to watch him be the first one on the ice in practice, uh, be the last guy off the ice in practice. He brings all the young kids. They do all kinds of drills. You almost don't need a skills coach. He is the skills coach. He does it. He takes his time. He makes sure that he's ready to go. So if he doesn't play well, it's not because he's lack of preparation. It's just an off night. But so if Dylan Larkin or any young player could look at somebody and say, okay, you know, you're, and you're right about Buffalo. That situation was not a very good situation. It was a losing environment. Ryan O'Reilly got stuck in a couple of losing environments. And I think, you know, having him have the success last year, it's good for everybody to, to see that because you can get cast in a negative light. I think Steve got cast in a bit of a negative light. Joe Sackick, when he was in Quebec, got cast in a negative light. Everybody's, everybody goes through it, especially when you're an offensive player. Um, but to, to, to be consistent in your approach and the way that you prepare for every games and have your teammates look at you like this is a consummate professional, I think that's where leadership is born, and that's that's how you, you stay a leader and you stay revered in this league. Darren, two more questions. Yeah. Can you sort of describe for our listeners the style of play of the Blues? I'll give one example. The Blues 3-1 victory over Colorado, one of the top teams. There were 15 hits combined for the defenseman in that game. I think Zadorov had yeah. five of those yeah, hits. Yeah, yeah. Conversely, the Red Wings, when they went into Edmonton, it's not a fair comparison, but there was only one hit by the defenseman. That was Mike Green, who took two penalties against Horvat, as well as Quinn Hughes. He was minus two. It's a different game, and I wonder if you could describe for our fans, they're not seeing that type of hockey right now. There's not the personnel. There's not Colton Pareko. There's not that type of player on the team. you got to remember that the Blues are... The, it's the largest defending group in the NHL. It's, uh, you know, Colton Pareko last year. Um, if I had a vote privately, I, and, and I didn't, but I would have voted for Colton Pareko to win the Smythe Trophy. He was that good. He's a shutdown machine. He skates like the wind. He defends great. Everybody thinks he's got this big slap shot, so he's on the offensive side of it, but his defending mechanics are phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, Jay Bolmeister started the season with two bad hips because he had surgery in the offseason. Uh, and he was just slow, and, and everybody thought maybe he was done. But he got healthier, and he's skating like the wind again. And Alex Petrangelo, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a tremendous defenseman, one of the best in the league. So uh, for people, uh, like, this has been long in the making for the St. Louis Blues. I mean, Petrangelo's fourth overall. Pareko was a third-round draft pick that developed and became 6'6", 235 pounds. Uh, Bolmeister was a trade, but he was a third overall pick. Um, you know, Justin Falk is a high pick, and you know, like just going down the list of, of how this Blues team was built, and they're built big. They're built big on the back end. And Vince Nunn's not big, but he's quick and he's agile, and, he, and when, the, when they're behind in a game, he's a guy like a, like a Doug Flutie that can get the offense going in a hurry. Um, but, I mean, 
it's it's an area that all the teams I think look at and say, okay, how did the how did the Blues beat Winnipeg? How did they beat you know Dallas? How did they beat San Jose? And how did they beat the Boston Bruins? They beat them by defending and being big and strong and boxing out. And uh, uh, for Detroit, it's you know it's a transition year. You're, you're seeing Erickson go down to the minors. You're seeing Cronwall retiring. I mean, it's you know you, so it's it's not it's not fair to compare it because they're not there yet. But I think the goal of every GM is to say, okay, we need a little bit of a, a little girth. We need a little beef on the bun back there. I mean, because you can't just play with a bunch of small, fancy defensemen. You just can't. You can't because by the time you get to the playoffs, you'll get worn down. Finally, Darren, when you look back at Steve Eisenman's nine years in Tampa Bay, they made the conference finals in three of the last four years. Steve Eisenman apologized to Jeff Finnick. He wanted to win a championship. The 62 wins last year. What did you make of what he and Al Murray were able to do developing the players, like you said, in Norfolk, waiting with Steve Stamkos and he had Hedman there, but mm. they seem to have almost everything and they may still win in the future. Yeah. What, what do you make of what the job he did and why they may have fallen short? First of all, Al, Al Murray is a, a tremendous amateur scout and I think, I think what they did better than any team in that 10-year time was, was from the later rounds. Their draft picks from the later rounds were outstanding. You know, from from rounds three to seven. I mean, they they just picked apart the amateur draft. And uh, I like the fact that they they believed that if a small player could play, um, as long as he was competitive, uh, not an outside player. Uh, Braden Point's a great example. I, I remember talking to Steve when they drafted Braden Point. They actually had let's say the 81st pick, and Braden Point was still available in the third round. They traded down, let's say, from 81 to 78. I don't even know the number exactly. And uh, they got Braden Point because they wanted him. And their scouts out west said he's small, but he's competitive. And uh, you know the same could be said for uh, uh, for for a lot of the guys there. So I, I guess in saying all that, they did a great job of managing the draft, even though they didn't have a lot of, you know, I, I, they, I mean Jonathan Druin ended up being a swap, and they got a real good defenseman for him. And uh, you know Connolly is still playing in the NHL. That was their first pick. It was sixth overall, and maybe at the time that was high for Connolly, but he's still playing in the NHL. and He's still a good player. So, uh, so I think all in all, I think they should be a, real proud of the, the drafting, and I think Steve will set that tone here as well, just like what Kenny Holland had done for so many years. So, it's a hard business, boy. It's it's not easy finding the right guys, but uh, but certainly they did that in Tampa Bay. Darren, thanks for your time before your broadcast tonight. I know it's a busy time for you getting ready, and we appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate it. Okay, we're back for overtime and. Ted, the upcoming games, the Oilers are in with Connor McDavid, 8-2-1 on Tuesday. And then you'll be in Carolina for the 7-3-1 Hurricanes. And then Florida, they've lost only two games in regulation. They're 4-2-4. So how do you see the upcoming week? We mentioned earlier, Mark, I mean, it's not a lot of gimmies here coming up. you got the Stanley Cup champions here tonight. Edmonton that's playing extremely well Tuesday night. Carolina and Florida back-to-back those are all tough teams all teams that are probably going to be fighting for a playoff spot so it's, it's tough to pinpoint exactly where a victory is coming here tonight you would look at the week after that you got Nashville I believe coming in you play a Rangers team that's you know they should be competitive with it's not an easy stretch and let's face it like we said earlier this yeah. team is struggling nothing's not much is going right for this team right now so it's the uh, Wings and Blues coming up. Our next podcast is Monday, November 4th against Vegas. Lots of Red Wings coverage. You can follow Ted on Twitter during the games at T. Colfin. 
Look for Ted's daily coverage and videos at DetroitNews.com. And also check out our new Octopulse page, which has videos, photo galleries, the podcast, the Grand Rapids report now as well. We'll see you uh, next Monday, Ted. See you, Mark. I look forward to it. <laughs>